Alrighty, so a couple of questions up front. How many of you have ever had a job before? Right, okay, some of you. How many of you have ever been in a relationship before? Alright, a number of you. How many of you went to university? Right, a number of you. How many of you have ever played on a sports team of any sort? Little league, you know, little kickers, you know, Olympic World Cup. Uh, we have someone who has played in the World Cup who comes to our church. Pretty awesome. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a play before? Right, Eric Wright, you better raise that hand. He was on the front page of our, like, our local thing last year, Les Mis or something. Was it Les Mis? Jean Valjean, something? I don't know. Pretty awesome. Something like that. Um, uh, and how many of us um, have, um, have gotten into something that we've longed to for a long time? whether it was any sort of job, school, anything. We've kind of waited for something, it happened, and then, yes, we finally made it. So all of us at some level. Now, in all of those different things, uh, there's, there's different opportunities. There's kind of two different parts. Um, the first part is the initial acceptance, right? It's, it's, man, I finally got into the school that I've been working so hard to get into. Like, oh, my goodness, finally, he said yes, or she said yes, or... Yes, I made the team, or I got the job that I've always wanted. Like, that's, that's the initial part. And, um, and in some ways, like, that's kind of the easier part. Not always, but oftentimes that's the easier part. The harder part is, is the ongoing part, right? So in a lot of ways, it's fairly easy to become a parent. Um, it's a lot harder to be a parent, right? <laughs> yes, this is true. It's, it's easy sometimes to, to get into school. Maybe not, school is maybe not a great example. It's easy sometimes to, to get accepted in something. The harder part is, is keeping the job, is, is doing well in school, is, is being a spouse, right? No one gets married and is like, okay, they said I do, great, I'm done, right? The hard part is the time to come. And in our faith, it's very much the same thing, right? So when we become a believer, in some ways, and, and I know that there's huge hurdles to jump over, but in some ways, it's, it's the professing of your faith with your mouth, believing it if, when you're in your heart. You're saying, okay, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in the gospel. I believe that there's a God exists who created the world. I believe that there's a God exists who loves me. I believe that by nature, I am in rebellion against him, and I need his life. I need his death in order to know him, in order to be known by him, and in order to be with him forever. And that's, that's the, kind of the easy part in some ways, because then what comes after that is, well, how do I follow him? How do I be a Christian? Not just become a Christian, but how do I be a Christian? Right? And we all know like, what it takes to be a Christian. We all know, you know we're supposed to love God. Right? Everyone knows that. And we're supposed to love other people. Right? That, that should be somewhat obvious. Like, I, I need to love people. I need to treat people with respect and dignity. I need to care for people. I need to be a spouse of, of this stature. I need to do these types of things. But the reality is, while we know what we should do, it's hard to do those things. And we can't just will ourselves to be a certain way. We can't just say, you know, I'm shopping through aisle 17 at Winco. I'm just going to decide from here on out, I'm going to be this type of husband, right? No one has ever had that experience. Maybe you've had the thought, but the follow through doesn't just happen because you will yourself to do something at one point in time. So the question is, how then do we form our lives? How do we shape our lives in such a way that we can actually be an effective Christian? 
How do I be a follower of Jesus? And, and in order to look at that, in order to be someone who is formed and shaped to be a follower of Christ, over the last month or so, we've been looking at a number of different practices that people have been practicing for thousands of years, that Jesus himself practiced, that people before Jesus practiced um, looking to the God of the Old Testament, the God that we know and love today. And we've looked at a number of these different practices. What are some of the things that we've looked at so far? We've looked at, you can say them out loud. What are some of the practices? Prayer. We looked at prayer. Absolutely. What's another practice? Fasting, right? Last week, a number of us fasted, right, for our community groups. Um, Just show him how how many of your groups tried that, right? Okay, you're, you're, you're obeying last week when we read the verse that said, don't tell anyone what you did, so that's good. Uh, our, group, our group practiced uh, fasting uh, before we met on, Thursday, on Wednesday night. We didn't eat breakfast, we didn't eat lunch, and we're, we're going out, and we're all starving, everyone's hangry, and literally there's a giant accident on Highway 20. Like, I sat through a light five times through, starving, waiting for dinner, and God's just saying, I got you. I got you. I got you. So what else? What, uh, what other practices? So we did prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, right? Today we, et- we add one more of these disciplines, and that is the discipline of meditation. Now you hear the word meditation, and it's kind of it's a weird word in a lot of ways, and, and it's weird because it has all different types of connotations, uh, both in the Western world and in the Eastern world. Um, so if you didn't bring your yoga mat today, if you forgot your chai tea, it's okay. We've got plenty of extra. We will do some meditation today. Even some of you are nervous when I say that. It's okay. <laughs> so um, on paper, the plan is that I'm going to talk for about 25 minutes, and then we're actually going to put into practice. We're going to give ourselves a little bit of time to practice some meditation today. So in order to do this, we want to stand up. We're going to read the Word of God together. We're going to open up in Psalm chapter 1. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up there. It's on page 448, if you've got a Bible nearby. And I'm going to do something that we did in first hour. I'm actually going to ask that you would read it with me. So if you've got one, uh, we're reading from the ESV. You can read it out loud with me. If you don't have one, that's okay. Just listen. Here's the opening of the book of Psalms, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. So immediately we open up the book of Psalms. Um, The book of Psalms is simply a book uh, called Psalms. That's a Greek translation of a Hebrew word, which means song. And you've got 150 different songs, if you will, all looking at the the range of human emotion. 
Uh, anything from anger to sadness to joy to elation to fear to love to adoration and, and really all the myriad of all the emotions that we get. And the book starts off not so much with a song as much as it is instruction. Um, and we, and we kind of compare from the very beginning two different types of people. It talks about the, the man who is wise. Um, it talks about the blessed man. And it talks about the wicked, the people who are wicked. And, and it kind of makes this comparison of the two. And so it starts out talking about the man who is blessed. And we read this. It says, they do not do certain things. So the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the way of sinners. And they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. If you read most commentaries, they talk about a progression here. They talk about a progression from someone who's walking to someone who's standing, to someone who's sitting. And this would be someone who is initially uh, kind of passively engaged with uh, activities that are harmful or sin. This would be someone who's, who's doing an activity and they, they catch themselves and they apologize for it. So, man, I'm doing something, I'm, I'm disrespectful, I'm, I'm not being a, a great friend, I'm not being a good coworker. And then they catch themselves and they apologize and they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. Well, if that doesn't get caught, kind of the next step is not standing by, or is not walking by something, but it's kind of standing there. It's more, it's more stationary. And this is someone who may uh, find themselves doing things that they ought not to do, but they don't realize that they're doing it. And they don't apologize. They don't confess. Right? This may be a spouse who regularly finds themselves speaking poorly of their other spouse. Like, oh man, my wife this, or my husband that, to a group of friends. This may be a coworker who finds themselves gossiping about other people. This may be a kind of an ornery neighbor who just is a little bit proud, a little bit arrogant, a little bit angry. And they, they, they don't mean necessarily to, to, um, to continue on in this action and attitude, but they're ignorant of the fact that they're doing it. Um, this is a great stage, by the way, to have friends and to have people in your life who are saying, hey, have you seen what you're doing? You should repent, right? This is a good stage where, where maybe it's in a community group, maybe it's just a friendship that you have. We can hold people accountable, and hopefully the goal is that they will repent, that they will turn, and that they will move towards the way of the blessed. But the last step, if none of that gets caught, it moves to the final stage, and that final stage is someone who is intentionally who is purposefully, who is sitting. They're in a position um, of authority. Um, you think about like a university, kind of the, the chair, right? This is someone who has authority. This is that seated position. This is someone who, who kind of regularly, consciously is engaged in things that are wrong. This is someone who's kind of that controlling, power-hungry, cruel manipulator, this is conscious abuse. This is exploitation of others. This is kind of that progression of what it looks like when you are not following the Lord. So how do I make sure that I'm not on this path? That I'm not on the path from kind of unconscious disobedience to conscious rebellion. And the text is pretty clear. Um, we read this and it talks about the blessed man who's very different. It says, blessed is the man who does not do these things, but verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Right? This is a person who prospers in all that they do. 
And why? Why do they prosper? The text talks about a, a tree being planted by water. The concept being that it doesn't matter if a drought comes. It doesn't matter if there is no water. This tree has constant nourishment. He's placed in a spot. She's placed in a spot where she is constantly being fed. And the psalmist says, if you want to make sure that you have a blessed life, you need to plant yourself in a place where you have constant nourishment. And the result is that this person prospers in all that they do. If this were um, a... If this were someone kind of speaking from a financial angle, they would say something like this. The blessed person is someone who has a guaranteed CD at a return rate of 100% annually, right? You kind of chuckle at that. You're like, oh man, I'd love 5%. 100% guaranteed rate of return CD? Please sign me up. How do we do this? The text says in all that he does, he prospers. He's not worried about a bull market, a bear market, whatever. He's got a guaranteed return rate of 100%. He prospers in all that he does. Right? Imagine that you had a Tesla that never ran out of battery. You just go, 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 go. In all that you do, you prosper because you've got a source that never runs out. Right? You've got an income stream. You've got a battery for your car. You've got fuel. You've got water for your tree. All that he does prospers. Well, how is that possible, right? It sounds kind of dreamy. It sounds nice. Okay, great. He, he produces fruit all the time. His leaves never, never wither. How does this happen? We keep reading. The text says this. Verse 2, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So first of all, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight there, that's an economic term. It means to feel wealthy, to feel rich. I remember in junior high, uh, my great-grandfather passed away. Uh, Both of my grandpas before that passed away, so I didn't have any uh, kind of real grandpas. I had a great-grandpa. He lived in New Jersey. I lived in California, so I only met him a couple times in my life. But he passed away when I was in junior high, and he left um, some money to myself and my two sisters, and probably my parents too, but I don't know. But I remember as a kid... Well, we each got a couple thousand dollars. As a junior high kid, I remember thinking, I'm like the wealthiest person in the world. Like, I can literally go to Sport and Cycle and buy any single bike that I want, right? And this was before bikes and carbon fiber and like $19,000 bikes. Like, some of you guys are crazy into that. But I remember just this feeling of, I can do whatever I want. And my parents, they, they were pretty generous in saying like, yeah, you can go ahead and spend that how you want. They, they tried to give some guidelines, like think about the next couple of years, you're going to be driving soon. You probably want to save a little bit of that for a car. And uh, I, I just remember um, just the opportunity that I had with that as a kid. And, and really the better opportunity, having a younger sister, five years younger, who you can manipulate to buy whatever you wanted from her money, that was fabulous. But the feeling of, I can get whatever I want. That's what that delight is. But it's not, in, it's not in the economics of my purchasing power. The psalmist makes it very clear. He says, I have this feeling of power and of wealth when I do what? When I delight on the law of God. When I delight in the law of the Lord. And what is the law? For them, that would have been the Torah. 
That would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. For us, that would be the entire breadth of the Word of God. So anytime that I think deeply, anytime I think about the Word of God, I delight. It makes me feel like, man, the God of the universe knows my name. He loves me. It makes me feel just like, I am so supported. I can do it out. Like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Man, if we learn to delight on the words of God, then when seasons of dryness come, when there is no rain, when there is no, um, when there is no water, we are planted by a stream and we get regularly fed. And the text tells us that this happens when we meditate on the word. So we delight when we meditate. Now, meditation is a weird word in some ways because we have all kinds of different ideas that are conjured up when we think about this idea of meditation. The first idea that I think of happened a number of years ago. I was on a, on a trip in South America with a, a couple of different guys, and it was a backpacking trip. We were hiking all around, and one of the days we met a, a couple of other guys on the trail, and, and we kind of spent the day with them. Uh, one of the guys was from San Francisco, and one was from uh, Amsterdam, and these are kind of your classic millennials. We, we work enough to, get a, to, to save up some money, and then we travel until we spend all of our money, and then we go get a job again, and then we travel, and blah, blah, blah. And, and we met these guys. We had a great time, spent the day with them, and uh, that night, I remember just hanging out late into the night, and, and one of these guys, man, he really knew how to have a good time and was up way into the night enjoying drink and, and eat, and uh, the next morning, we woke up. And my team, the guys who I was with, we, we kind of hiked out of, out of the little place that we were camping that day. We went into a little local town and had a nice breakfast. And on our way back, we were hiking along this trail that was along a river. And we were just being silly and loud and annoying and obnoxious like a bunch of early 20-year-old guys would be while hiking early in the morning. And we look up, and all of a sudden, here's our friend that we met last night. And he's literally, he's like Simba-style on this rock, perched with his legs crossed, arms like this, just sitting there. And I have this, this image so burned in my mind. And he, he later came back to camp and I said, well, what were you doing? He says, oh man, I'm really into meditation. He says, I'm really into emptying my mind. That's kind of like the thought that I have when I think of meditation. But here's the thing. When the Bible talks about meditation, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of emptying our mind. And the Bible talks about filling our minds. When, when the psalmist here says... Um, that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's saying, I think deeply, I think often, day and night, about the scriptures, about the God that the scriptures describe. I think day and night. So it, it's something that's constant. It's, it needs, it, it's like food, right? We, some of us are, are People like myself where, where you want breakfast and you want lunch and you want dinner and you want that 10 a.m. meal and you want that 3 p.m. meal and then you want dessert. Like you need it all the time, day and night. You need to think and to think deeply about the, the God that the Bible describes. And this type of thinking is slow. It is inefficient. It's labor. And it's good. And the psalmist says we need to think deeply day and night, about what Scripture, about how Scripture describes the Lord. Um, I want to end with two things. I want to end with why. Why should we meditate? Why do we think deeply? Why do we stop and pause and say, this is something worth my time? Because it feels a little bit awkward in a day that's like, give, can, can you just give me the information? Can I just get the cliff note version? Can, can we just get it quickly? Why do I need to stop? 
Why do we need to pause? Why do we need to think deeply about the words of Scripture? I'll say this. Apart from deep study and meditation on the Word of God, we will always create a God in our mind that does not exist. I'm going to say that one more time. Apart from deep study and meditation, we will always create a false version of God in our own mind. We will create a God that looks just like us. We will create a God that, that we want, right? So if left to ourselves, we will create a God that makes us happy. We will create a God that makes our lives easier. We will create a God that gives us wealth and opportunity. We'll create a God that makes our children flourish into the jobs that we hope that they all have. We'll create a job that, that loves everybody, that's just kind of this soothing, happy, grandfatherly picture who never gets angry, right? We'll create a God who holds our enemies accountable, but not us. We will create a God that looks like us that we can handle when left to our own thinking about who God is. If you're a non-Westerner, you would think more like a God who is angry, vindictive, wrathful upon those who do wrong. If we don't spend regular time in God's word, we will create a God who does not exist. And when we do this, one of two things happens. Number one, we will very often walk away from the true God. Or number two, we will never fully delight in him. Last week, I, I was meeting with someone and they were telling me, Josh, I'm done. I'm done with faith. I'm done with the church. I'm done with God. And I said, why? Like you, you've been professing faith for 15, 20 years. Why would you say that you're done? And they said, I've got nothing from him. All I'm experiencing is hurt and pain and sorrow and loss and grief. He's given me nothing. I'm out. And I told him, I said, you're not walking away from the God of the Bible. You're walking away from a God that you made up in your own mind. And I said, I'd walk away from that God too. And obviously this person's hurting and they're in a lot of pain. But the argument is pretty simple. It goes like this. It goes, unless God gives me the comforts that I'm looking for, then I'm going to say that God doesn't exist. And that is not what the Bible teaches at all, which is why we need to deeply think and deeply study the word of God. Because when we deeply think about the Word of God, when we study it regularly, we get the real accurate picture of who God is. I'm going to read something here from one of the pillars of our faith from Paul. And he describes his life and he describes what faith is like for him in a way that if we didn't read Scripture, we would never come up with this description of what faith might be like or what life might look like. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He goes on to describe his situation. He's asking for help. God, would you help me? It seems like I'm hurting. It seems like something's happened to me. Would you give me some relief? And he says this, 
He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we fail to think about passages like this and think about them deeply, we will never be prepared for when storms of life come. And that's exactly what the psalmist says in verse 4. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. They have no roots. They have no real understanding of who God is. They never read Paul and look at Paul's life and say, oh my goodness, you are one of the pillars of the church, yet all these things have happened to you. God is still good and he's still faithful. If you don't have that grasp and the understanding of who the true God is, like verse 4 says, when the wind comes, it will drive you away. The other side of this that is true is unless we have a true, accurate picture of who God really is, we will never fully delight in him. The kind of the picture I like to often think about is, is sitting on the edge of the pool, kind of dangling your feet in. All right, it's a hot day, it's a warm day, the pool is nice, it's ready to be swam in, and here we are sitting on the edge. Until we do what? Until we really delight. A number of years ago, um, 2003, it was my senior year of high school, uh, in, the, in the early spring, I was at a basketball game. And I was at this game, and I was hanging out with a number of different buddies. I was a senior at this point, And a freshman girl comes up to me, and she says, Hey, um, Megan Azevedo wants your phone number. And there's a couple guys sitting next to me, and one of the guys says, Well, who's Megan Azevedo? And I turned to him and I said, That's the girl I'm going to marry. And lit- literally, true story. Um, I, she didn't go to our school. I'd met her a few times. I've probably talked to her less than five hours in my life. She was not my girlfriend by any means. And, um, and I turned to him and said, This is the girl I'm going to marry. I, I, I love this girl. So, which is kind of like creepy and stalker until I continue the story. <laughs> so we start dating eventually. The next couple months we start dating and, and we start spending all kinds of time together. I mean, all kinds of times. This was before cell phones were really a thing. So I'd call her every single morning, kind of give her like the Bible verse of the day. We'd talk all the time and, and I'd call her in the evening and, and my parents were super cool. They let me talk to her on the phone in my room, which was like a thing back then. I didn't have to stay in the kitchen phone in the middle. You young kids have no idea how horrible it is when like your sisters are running around and you're like, hey, Megan, what's going on? Um, ditch school perpetually to hang out with her all the time. Um, and I remember just like the more and more that I spent time with her, the more and more I delighted. The more and more I just felt, oh my goodness, I, I, I am so loved. I, I so love this person. Recently, I was going through uh, some older college notebooks and I was kind of throwing them away, kind of cleaning out my office and, and just like over literally like all my notebooks, there's just like all these like scribbles of like Megan and lover girl and all these hearts, which sounds like weird. I know, I don't know how I made it through college. But the fact of the matter is like, June 24th, 2006, we get married, right? That's my wife, Megan. That's, that's who was up here recently. 
And, uh, and for 13 years, you know what stirs my delight and affection is when I, when I get to hear her heart, when I get to talk to her, when I spend time with her. And that just, that just stirs more and more and more and more. Like this morning, I sit up here and watch, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's my wife. Like, I know her. I know her so well. She talks to me. It's awesome. And the same is true if we want delight with the Lord. We got to know him. We got to talk with him day and night, night and day. We got to think deeply about who he is. We got to think deeply about all the truth that's revealed to us. And there's a ton of truth that's revealed to us. There's so much. We're going to end our time. And I'm just going to just going to end with reading some of my favorite verses that I love to chew on. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to put a passage of, of Scripture up on here, which is it's just a life-changing passage. It is so rich, and we're just going to meditate on it. And this is not just like sit here, empty your mind. This is like read these words and think deeply about their meaning. Think about the God who, who's behind these words. But as we prepare for that, just listen to some of the things that God says to us through his word. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to just listen, here we are. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing, I have everything. If God is for me, who can be against me? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, who have been called according to his purpose. Do not fear, for I am with you. You know how often the Bible says that phrase, fear not? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When we meditate and think deeply about the words that are given to us that describe a father who loves us, we will delight in him. So I'm going to give us some opportunity to do that as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, and then our band's going to come up.
reading. I'm going to uh, read this and you can just sit there. You can close your eyes if you want, but I want us just to think deeply one last time. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, your word points us to you. You have spoken to us and we need to make the time to listen and to think deeply about who you are. Thank you for an opportunity this morning to get to do that. 